Good morning and Merry Christmas. We're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 2. You know, on Easter, we, we go to the end of the Gospels, we read about the resurrection at Christmas time. Uh, we usually come to Luke chapter 2. This is uh, one of the more Christmassy passages that we have in Scripture. And even though we'll just be studying in on verses 11 through 14, I'm going to read to you verse from verse 1 to verse 20. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace goodwill towards men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Um, now the, these are some of you know, the, the, the most familiar Christmassy words you'll ever hear. I'm, I'm confident that this isn't the first time that you've, uh, you've read them, that you've heard them, uh, but I want to read the whole thing and so we can get into the text and, and drink, drink deeply from this fountain, so to speak, and really get all that God has for us in this story. Um, if, if Christmas teaches us anything, it is that God is very intentional about encountering people. Uh, if God and man meet, it's going to be his idea. And, and if we're going to be able to receive anything from him today, it's going to be because he desires to give us all that we need. And I believe that he does desire this. Now I'm going to read uh, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 again. And we'll pray and, and we'll go through this passage. In verse 11 it says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And Jesus, I just, I, I thank you that, that this whole thing was your idea, uh, that you have come to meet with us, that you 
God have been made flesh and, and have a tabernacle dwelt with us. I pray that in this, your word, we would see God glorified and that we would receive peace, that we would have your favor rest on us and, and that we would be able to receive this good gift that, gift that you have given. And give us understanding into your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, so these these few verses, these Christmas verses, it, it they they tell us a couple things about um, uh, about the what of Christmas, what's happening. Uh, we read uh, at least three things about the who of Christmas, who is Jesus, who is this child, and then uh, we read at the end. The really important part is is two uh, of the why of Christmas, two of the whys of Christmas. I'll, I'll satisfy all your curiosity by just telling you right now, the two things about the what of Christmas are, are that it happened, one, in, in real time, and and, and, um, that, and two, that it happened in real space. I don't know why that was hard, so hard to, to get out. It, it really happened. It tells us where and when things happened. Um, the, the three things about the who of Christmas, it's about the Savior, who is Christ, who is the Lord. So we learn these, these three things about who uh, Jesus is. And the two whys of Christmas are there in verse 14, a really beautiful verse. Christmas, uh, the nativity, the, the incarnation is for the glory of God and for peace on earth. And once we talk about that peace, which we, we talked about last week a little bit, um, you know, I'm going to mention again the different types of peace. And last week we mentioned two of them, and this week I'll add one more. You know, there's the peace we have with God and the peace uh, of God that we enjoy within ourselves, and then, and then there's the peace that God wishes us to have with others. Uh, but for now, we're going to start with verse 11. It says, unto you this day. And that is, that tells us when, um, uh, it tells us something about Christmas. The event in Luke 2 happened on a day. It was a real day. Uh, it wasn't December 25th. I hope that's not disappointing to any of you. Uh, but it was on a real day. Jesus had a birthday. Mary probably kept track of it. Uh, I don't think they did the birthday cake with candles thing and like the pointy hats. But e e each year there was an actual day on the calendar when Jesus Christ turned two. And then the next year he turned three. And then he turned four. And Jesus was born on a real day. Um, you know, you think of how, how the more common fairy tales begin. They inevitably start with the words, once upon a time, which isn't very specific. Uh, and when you hear once upon a time, you, you might even think that it's the same as saying, this never really happened. Uh, but the angels are not telling the shepherds a fairy tale that never really happened. They're not telling them something happened once upon a time. They were saying something happened today. Today, the day that you are living in, it happened. And, and this day is a day in actual history. We're not talking about myth or fiction. Uh, we're talking about historical fact. But it was also a day that was anticipated before there were any days. Uh, Christmas, the nativity, the incarnation, these are not solutions to a problem that God did not foresee. Uh, in other words, Christmas wasn't a last-ditch effort or a plan B. The nativity and all that followed, all the way to the cross and to the empty tomb, uh, these were not um, second thoughts, second uh, plan B for God. The, the, the cross and the empty tomb was and is God's preferred method of glorifying himself. The reality that is reflected in every nativity scene and Christmas song was something that was settled in heaven since eternity past. And while this event in Luke 2 happened on a literal day or night, 
It was anticipated by the Ancient of Days, since before there were days to mark on a calendar. Pastor John Piper, he said, It was a day planned in eternity before the creation of the world. Indeed, the whole universe, with untold light years of space and billions of galaxies, was created and made glorious for this day and what it means for human history. Of course, we read the same truth in Colossians 1, verse 16. It says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Again, that's Colossians 1, 16. All things were created for him. Jesus, the one in the manger, the helpless baby, was and is the reason, not just for the season, and that's kind of a cheap rhyme that we like, he is the reason for all of creation. I hope that this doesn't bother you too much as you prepare to open all of your presents this Friday, but the world isn't for you. It's not for you. It's for Him. In fact, one of the reasons that Jesus came is to free us from the error that battles with this truth, the error or the lie that it's really all about you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, it's a great verse. It says, He died for all, that those who live should no longer live, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus came, was born, lived, and died so that you could stop living for yourself. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 15 says. He died for all, that those who live should, no, should live no longer for themselves, and instead live for the one who made all things for himself. There is born to you this day. It happened on a day, but it was, it was anticipated by the Ancient of Days before there were days. And it happened in the city of David. It happened in a real place. Uh, once again, this is not myth. It didn't happen in Middle Earth. It didn't happen in Narnia. It didn't happen in a galaxy far, far away. Um, I'm pretty sure I can bring some other nerds into this. It didn't happen at Hogwarts. Okay, it happened in a town called Bethlehem, which is about seven and a half thousand miles away from us. I checked, the mor I checked this morning uh, the weather there is, is about the same as it is here, low 50s, some patchy clouds. Uh, it should rain tomorrow there in Bethlehem. We're expecting rain on Thursday. It's, it's a real place with real weather, with real people. It has, it, it has 25,000 people uh, living in it today. It's, it's not make-believe. And this was a place that Micah the prophet spoke of in Micah 5 too. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, whose coming forth is from of old, oh sorry, for, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Bethlehem was a small town, it was sort of a nowhere town, not quite as bad as Nazareth, which was a really small town, uh, but it was still nothing to write home about. But the one who would come from there didn't begin in Bethlehem. His coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days, from ancient days. Jesus existed as the eternal Son of God before the events of Luke 2. But when he did come to dwell with us, to tabernacle among us, as John 1.14 says, he came into a real place, and it was an everyday sort of place with shepherds and farmers and little corner shops and a local synagogue and neighbors that didn't like each other and the whole bit, uh, the, the whole thing. And that's still where Christ comes and encounters his people. It's in everyday things. It's in little towns. Um, it's in uh, normal, real life, in real time, in real space. Christ encounters us in the physical, not just the metaphysical. 
And this is the world that Jesus came into, the normal world, the one where you and I live and we, the one we know as home. It happened a real day, it happened in a real place. And what is it that happened? It says a Savior is born. There's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. It's strange that every year there are decorations and probably, I don't know, trillions of Christmas lights, Christmas carols singing about Jesus in grocery stores. That's always a little surprising. Uh, giant nativity scenes in public places. But most are still able to ignore or avoid the crucial piece of what is being celebrated. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And if you have ever sinned against God, which you have, then you need a Savior. And back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel said to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Only God can forgive sins against God. That is why God sent the eternal Son of God into the world, because he is God and has authority to save you from your sins. When Jesus said the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he was letting it be known that he is God of very God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. The world has needed a Savior since paradise was lost in Eden. After Jesus came and after he ascended into heaven, the world still needs that Savior. Not an unknown Savior. We need this Savior. And our Savior has been declared to us. What is needed is our submission to him and our obedience in declaring him to be Savior of the world. Now, it should be obvious to anyone anyone not living in a hole in the ground, that our world still needs saving. This is because the world, as John says in 1 John 1, is under the sway of the wicked one. It's because of sin. The problem is sin, and Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the Savior. Um, one year I did a sermon on the bad news of Christmas. Uh, we don't think of Christmas being bad news, and certainly a rescue mission is not seen as bad news to the one being rescued. But the fact that there is a need for a rescue, points us to the previous problem. The bad news of Christmas is that you need saving and are completely helpless to save yourself. The bad news of Christmas is that you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and do have a natural tendency to live for yourself. And that is what Christ has come to save you from. You do have a natural tendency um, to, to enjoy even being under the sway of the wicked one. You are a part of the world that is under the influence of evil. But Christ has come to save you from each of these things and more. Jesus is our Savior. He is also the Messiah. Unto you is born, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. The word Christ comes from the Greek Christos. The, the, that's the Greek um, word for Messiah. All of these words mean the same thing. They mean anointed one. The entire Old Testament is written in anticipation of a final anointed king and the anointed prophet, the anointed priest. There are promises upon promises about the coming of the king. And in Jesus of Nazareth, all of these promises and prophecies are yes and amen. Once again, Christmas is the fulfillment of the anticipation of eons, but not just for the Jews, because the Christ is also completely and totally Lord. Lord of all. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You will benefit from his saving power when you make him your Lord. 
This is another thing that somehow slips through the cracks in traditional Christmas celebrations. As our culture is still eager to celebrate a form of the coming of Christ while seemingly denying its power. We like the giving gifts, we like the Christmas carols, we like the lights. Most people, certainly outside the church, but unfortunately in the church as well, do all of these things uh, and, and still neglect to celebrate the Lordship of Christ. We are not celebrating that there has come someone to rule over us and save us from our own fierce independence. We like our independence way too much to celebrate something like that, don't we? I mean, we like the idea of a savior much more than we like the idea of a ruler. But the good news that is brought to the shepherds in Luke 2 is that there is a new authority over them that will dethrone all former principalities and powers. We read last week, the government will be upon his shoulders. Now, now of course, eventually the Jews wanted a kind of Lord. They wanted a ruler that would cast down their enemies, but very few wanted a ruler who would cast out their sins. This Christmas, you have to be sure that you are celebrating more than the gift of lowly baby in manger. Jesus is Lord. Christmas is about bowing before him. And I have to marvel at the wisdom of God that makes all our wisdom into foolishness. You know, when you see a towering tall figure, let's say, I don't know, a hundred foot tall angel or something, like these, this heavenly host, you have to look up in order to see them. But if there's a baby in a manger and you want to get a good look at them, you have to get on your knees. I promise you that the good news of great joy, which is for all people, is meant to be received in a state of humility, submission, and worship, with you on your knees before the Lord. We are celebrating a joy that comes to us when we humble ourselves. Christ has come. This happened on a day in real history. It happened in the city of David, a real place, in the real world. He is Savior to take away our guilt and our sin. He is the Christ who fulfills all our hopes and he is Lord to conquer all of our enemies and rule over us. All that in verse 11. Verse 12, the angel gives the shepherds somewhat specific directions to where the Lord and Christ is sleeping for, sleeping that night. Uh, verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Verse 13, 14, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Um, so after one angel declares the news and gives directions, then there's this multitude of angels that respond to the news. One angel can deliver the mail, but apparently it takes a thousand to have a party. And they're responding to the meaning of the news. And in their praises, which is the correct response to the Christmas story, they are also explaining why all of this is happening. Now, I love that there's this suddenness. Verse 13, suddenly, it's like the explosion after a short fuse or something, the firing of a weapon after the pulling of a trigger. And Galatians 4.4 4 says that Christ came into the fullness of time. And it's almost like that the time wasn't quite full until that specific sentence was spoken and then all heaven breaks loose. Once the news is out, heaven must respond with praises. When Jesus entered Jerusalem 30-some years later, he said that if the people who were praising him stopped, then even the rocks would cry out. There is a need to praise God for what he has done, and these angels respond 
uh, to the need, and in doing so, they've shown us what Christmas is all about. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. The joyful news that on a day, at a perfect fullness of time, in the perfect prophesied way, a Savior was born who was Christ the Lord. That news has two great outcomes. The two great purposes are these, God's glory and our peace. God's glory and our peace. God is glorified because His Son has been born. And peace is spread through humanity wherever He is received as Lord and King. The two great purposes that are accomplished by the coming of Christ, it's a never-ending stream of glory going straight to God from man and a never-ending stream of peace coming to man from God. Because of Christ, we can constantly praise the Lord. Because of Christ, God can constantly be attending to us, bringing us peace. Now, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that I can't think of any better way to summarize the purpose of the incarnation in this statement from the angels. Glory to God, peace to men. Peace to men, excuse me. Christ came to show us God's beauty and give us God's joy. He came to show his greatness and give us his security. And nothing except the coming of Christ can accomplish any of those things. One pastor put it this way, The point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious and intends to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. How about I read that one one more time? The point of creation and redemption is that God is glorious and intends to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now, unfortunately, the translation that I, I've read from so far is not, probably not the most accurate. Uh, virtually all Greek scholars and all modern Bible translations say something like this, on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests, that's the NIV, or on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased, that's the uh, New American Standard, or the ESV, which says on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And this, th these are more accurate translations. The point is that while God's mo God most certainly offers his peace to all, and he most certainly has enough peace to go around, he, he, his reserves are full, only those who receive Christ and trust Him as Savior and Christ and Lord will experience the peace that He brings. Now the question may be in your minds, how do I know that I am one of those people on whom His favor rests? You've been saying, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and now you hear me saying this, His peace is really only on those with whom he has already shown goodwill to. So you're thinking, well, is that me? Well, the way you can be sure of whether or not you have welcome, uh, whether or not you have welcomed the peacemaker, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord, um, that's going to be the answer to whether or not you are one whom his peace is towards, his goodwill is towards. The real question of whether or not you are one of those with whom God is pleased can be answered on the basis of Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The real question is a matter of faith. We can kind of work this equation in reverse. Have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then the Bible says that you have been justified. Well, have you been justified? Then you have peace with God. If you have peace with God, then you can be sure that he is well pleased with you and you are a recipient of this promise on earth peace to those with whom he is pleased. 
Christ has made a way for God to be most glorified and for you to be most at peace. Now I want you to experience this peace. And when you read scripture and see that there is a sort of global peace that we have still to look forward to, it fills us with this anticipation. In Isaiah chapter 9, which we read last week, in verse 7, um, it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. We know there's a coming time when man will beat his weapons into farming implements, as Isaiah prophesies in, in Isaiah 2, verse 4. That time hasn't come yet. But there is a peace that is for now. And there's a reason why on that Christmas card that you got this year, it said, Peace on Earth. While Jesus is coming again to inaugurate a final and complete peace, he also came to bring peace the first time he came. And I, I want to look at those kinds of peace again, even though we touched on this last week, and show you how they fulfill the angels' two declarations glory to God, and peace on earth. The first kind of peace that Christ came to give is the kind of peace I already mentioned when I, I mentioned uh, Romans 5, verse 1. That is the peace with God. That is what Christ, the Prince of Peace, has given us by being our Savior. He has saved us from our own doom that we have earned as enemies of God. He has conquered our hostility and brought us into a relationship of family rather than enemies. And I know for some of you, those two things aren't mutually exclusive, and I'll be praying for you for the holidays. Uh, but Christ the Savior has given us peace with God. That is, we are no longer at odds with Him. He is on our side. This peace is yours as you place your faith in Christ for the saving of your soul. But we all know that there are other kinds of peace. Now, at least four times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. Romans 16 verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Philippians 4.9 says the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 14, Paul says Jesus himself is our peace. And I, and I think there's more to these verses than only the peace with God that refers to the reconciliation of two opposing parties. There is peace with God and then there's also the peace of God. And neither can ever ever be separated from the God of peace or from Jesus who is our peace. The passage in Philippians 4 that says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Um, that we will return to this idea that Jesus is our Lord. If we want the peace of God to rule in your hearts and lives, to govern your hearts and minds, as Colossians 3.15 says, then Christ himself must rule your hearts and your lives. When the angels declare peace, they did so in conjunction with the coming of God to dwell among men. And God never intended to give you peace apart from himself. Do not attempt to find peace apart from the Prince of Peace. His purpose is to give you peace by becoming to you the most glorious person in your life. And I stole that from another pastor, but I liked it so much I needed to say it like it was my own. The key to this peace that rules your hearts and guards your hearts is by keeping together those things that the angels spoke of, the glory of God and the peace to man. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's giving God glory. And all the rest will be added unto you, Jesus says, including that peace that guards and rules and replaces anxiety. That peace with God, our most desperate need, the most uh, pressing need of humanity, that is accessed by faith, according to Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But, since, but this the second kind of peace, the peace of God, is also accessed by faith. 
Paul says in Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. God will give you peace as you believe him. Believe that the things he says are true. Believe that his glory is more important than yours. Believe that he has rescued you from living for yourself. Believe that he has your best interest in mind. When you believe God for what he says, you will believe he is your Lord and you will live a life of glorifying him and his peace will rest on you. And we've talked about peace with God and the peace of God. and um, You know, I've talked about these last week even, but there's, there's another one. There's one more. We know that God wants us to enjoy peace with him and enjoy the peace of God within ourselves, ruling our hearts. But God also intends for his people to be a peaceful people, to be at peace with other people. Paul says in Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Um, let's be honest, your family can sometimes be like Jesus' family, right? Full of problems. Uh, it can be full of questionable characters and awkward moments. And holidays aren't always peaceful uh, for, some, for some families. But be assured of this, you are called to peace. Um, our world is in a, a hostile place when you're, where you're almost expected to take uh, strong positions and make a lot of people your enemies. You're expected to uh, take, pick a side and point out everyone who isn't on your side. Um, now, maybe this is easy for you. Maybe, uh, um, maybe you're like me and your extended family is absolutely perfect like mine is. But for the rest of you, hear Ephesians 4 verse 31 and 32. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This will become second nature to you, or really new nature to you, as you cultivate that sense of amazement over the glory of God in Christmas. That in spite of your sins, God has given uh, you his son and forgiven you your sins. Be amazed that God entered our world in real time and in real space in order to experience life as you have experienced it. Be amazed, be overwhelmed with this kind of wonder that this one who was born in Bethlehem is a savior. He saves you, saves you from sin, from judgment, from the tyranny of self. Be amazed that he has overwhelmed your sin with his grace, and, and then be quick to extend that same grace towards others, uh, 70 times, 7 times even. Now I want you especially to see that the reason we celebrate Christmas is for the glory of God. The reason Christ came was to glorify God, but in his infinite wisdom, God has determined he receives glory by giving us peace. And it is ours to enjoy. We enjoy peace with God, the peace of God, and peace with others as much as depends on us. I rejoice that the God who shares his glory with none has chosen to glorify himself in this way and allowed us to gaze on the glory of the Creator, God made flesh, our Savior, Christ, and Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these truths, for the truths of the Incarnation, uh, for the beauties of Christmas, for the glory of God. Lord, we, we need your peace. We need peace with you. We need you to conquer us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us who you are by coming, uh, even as a baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 
we join with heaven now and say glory to God and peace on those with whom he is pleased. Be glorified in us, our families. Be glorified in our church. Be glorified in the world that you have made for yourself. Amen.